take your Bibles, please. Open them to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. If you would join me in standing out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love that you've shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope and to the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's pray. Father, give us grace in this day. Help us understand your truth. Teach us to honor you. Teach us to love you. Teach us to obey you. But Father, as we consider this word this day, I pray that you would teach us to be hungry for the things that are yours. Let us seek after knowledge. Let us seek after understanding. Let us grow in the grace that you have given us in opening our eyes. And let us be found faithful to use that grace in a way that honors the risen Christ. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The writer of Hebrews has been pressing the church, and he has been rebuking the church earlier in chapter 6, and he has turned his attention to encouragement and to give them something to strive after. And we're going to spend some time, as I've said before, in this chunk of Scripture because this idea of diligence is multifaceted. It has so many dimensions and so much truth is wrapped around the need for us to be diligent in our pursuit of Christ. We need to be diligent in our faith, and we talked about faith last week. But faith requires something to inform it. Faith requires knowledge. You have to know what you believe. You have to understand what it is that God has said. And this is the part I want to begin thinking about this week. We're going to spend a couple of weeks thinking about knowledge and thinking about wisdom together. But this idea of diligence towards a full assurance means the full knowledge of God. It means the full assurance of our hope. That is a certain knowledge that what is promised is true. And it means that we have to know what's contained in that promise. We have to understand what God has said. We need to understand all of his promises insofar as we're able, without exception. We need to know that everything God has promised, he's going to do, without exception. And we need to know that everything that God has instructed us to to believe and to trust and to hope and to know is certainly going to come to pass. We have to know the God who made these things because in the end, our ability to cling to his promises is directly connected to our belief in his truthfulness. If we don't know that God is truthful, if we're ignorant of the the stories of Scripture and the history that has been given to us in the Bible, if we're ignorant of the many times that God has demonstrated over and over and over again his own faithfulness, then our faith will just be Secondhand at best, we will just sort of cling to what somebody told us we ought to believe. 
And that faith, when it's pressed, tends to fall apart. Faith that is rooted in the truth of God's word, faith that is anchored in what God has said and anchored in what God has done, that faith stands when it's pressed. But we also have to be cautioned as we begin that there is a knowledge that comes from the world and it often masquerades as truth. It might even contain some fragments of true wisdom, but remember that a partial truth is a whole lie. We have to understand that all true knowledge comes from and gives honor unto God. He alone is the author of all truth and wisdom, and he alone is the source of all true knowledge. Jeremiah 4.22 says, My people are foolish. They have not known me. They are silly children. They have no understanding. They're wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. And I pray that that never be true of us. I pray that what God say of us is that we are a people who know the truth and live the truth. That we are a people who obey what he has commanded us to do. And that we are a people who engage with the scripture in such a way that it form us. That it shapes our thinking. That it changes our way of doing things. Because the Bible must change its people. If we're going to be a people of God and a people of the book, we have to recognize the truth that it's always going to bring change into our lives. If you encounter the truth of God and your life is not 100% in line with that truth, then your responsibility is to move from where you are to where God is showing you He wants you to be. That's your obligation. There is nothing in Scripture which allows you the position of saying, oh, that's nice and interesting. There's absolutely nothing contained in Scripture that is just arbitrary, idle information. If it's in the Bible, it's there for a reason. And it's there to change us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, for us to be conformed to Him. And believe it or not, that includes the begats. They're all there for a reason. Every single thing that God has said. Now, some of them are harder to pick out than others. But when God opens your eyes to see something, at that point you are accountable to obey that truth. You are accountable to have your life move from where it is to where God is calling it to be. This begins with knowledge because none of this occurs in a vacuum. Now, if, if this is a true statement that God is calling you to move from where you are to where he is showing you he wants you to be, is it possible for us to reject that and to not do what he says we're supposed to do? Well, you, you have the ability to do what is best in front of you. God will move you eventually. God will eventually draw you to be him or be like him if, if you're his. He will eventually draw you into conformity if you're his. But you do have the option to reject what he's telling you to do. But you need to recognize the truth that there is a consequence to that decision. There is a cost for rejecting obedience. Look at, look at the truth that God has gone to great lengths to reveal himself to us in everything that he has done. Do you recognize that God has shown himself to you not only through his word, but through all of creation? Look at Psalm 19 with me. Let's read the first few verses of Psalm 19. So Psalm 19 is this glorious psalm of creation, but 
I just want to read the first four verses. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all of the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. As God has done what he has done, he has declared his glory. He has declared his truth. He has declared his wisdom. He has declared his perfection. And and all of creation shouts out the glory of God. You can go outside and pull a leaf off the elm tree outside the church. And you can examine in intricate detail all of the wondrous glory of your God as he is showing you how he sustains life through the chlorophyll in the tree and the little capillaries and veins that run through the leaves and the exchange of the gases that the tree takes in all of that terrible CO2 that we're producing and it produces oxygen, which is poison for the tree, but life for us. It's kind of funny how that works. God is the one who is causing this world to be sustained. And God is the one who, in its due time, will destroy it, not us. It's his power to do. It's his power to change. It's his power to work. But you can examine those things and see God. What you cannot do is examine those things and find the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel must be communicated by words. The gospel must be communicated by the truth of Scripture and by the truth of God's people speaking what God has said. Is there other things, though, that we can learn from the Scripture and learn from creation and learn from the world around us? Does the Scripture help put things into perspective so that we might understand the truth of the world in which we live? Absolutely it does. Look at Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 20, Solomon says this, Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in the chief concourses at the openings of the gates of the city. She speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called you, and you have refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel, and would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm, and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, Then they'll call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel. They despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell in safety and will be secure without fear of evil. Ultimately, what the Scripture gives us is the wisdom of God contained in such a way that we can actually know His truth. And when we don't pursue that, when we don't pursue the knowledge of truth, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the things that He has given to us, 
when we will not pursue those things, there is a consequence in our lives. And the consequence, plainly put, is blindness. We cease to see. We cease to understand. The more we turn away from wisdom, the more wisdom eludes us. The less able we are to take it in. Have you ever encountered somebody in your life that when you speak the plain, simple truth of things to them, they just stare at you as if you've suddenly begun speaking a foreign language? It's because they have conditioned themselves to reject truth. They have conditioned themselves to reject wisdom. They have conditioned themselves to reject the truth of God's word. And the consequence in their lives is that they have lost the ability to even recognize truth when it slaps them in the face. They will make up ridiculous things and call it truth. Because in the end, the final consequence of the rejection of God's truth and the rejection of the wisdom that comes from it is what Paul speaks of in Romans 1. Turn there if you would. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Paul tells us this. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even by his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting filled with all manner of sexual immorality and unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgments of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So what Paul is telling us here is that when we see God in creation and look at him and say, I don't see it, there's a consequence. When we turn away from the clear revelation of his glory, there's a consequence. And the consequence is this, God gives us over to a debased mind to begin to do things that we ought not to do. And the more we reject God, the further He gives us up. When we turn away from Him to worship Him and begin to worship creation rather than Him, there's a consequence that comes out of that. And we see this in the world around us today. Sometimes you will hear people say that if the homosexual agenda is not stopped, God is going to judge this nation. 
What Romans 1 tells us is that the judgment is the homosexual agenda. The judgment is the scourge of homosexuality in this nation right now. That is the judgment of God. And it is the judgment of God because we have refused to heed the warnings. We have refused to listen to His truth. We have refused to obey what He tells us to do, which is to worship Him and Him alone. We have refused to honor His Word. We have refused to revere His truth. And because we did not like to retain God in our knowledge, in our minds, and in our understanding, God darkened our hearts. And this is a downward spiral which continues until in the end, destruction is inevitable. But I want you to notice especially the part that concerns us most particularly. And that is that there are those who know the truth, but give their approval to those who say and who do evil things. Beloved, there are many, many places where people are gathered calling it church, calling it the church of Jesus Christ of some flavor or another, who are right now giving their approval to the judgment of God and saying, no, no, it's not the judgment of God. You're allowed to love whoever you want and it's all okay. And the scripture tells us plainly and simply that they are as guilty of that sin as if they were committing it themselves. Where does it begin? It begins with us not knowing or honoring the things that the scripture tells us. It begins with us being ignorant of the truth of God. Because nobody in their right mind would read the Bible believing that it's true and end up in the places where churches are today. They have rejected the truth of God. They have rejected His Word. They have rejected His truth. They will say things like, oh, I believe the Bible is good as far as it goes. But it's not a science textbook. It's not something that we can take for for absolute truth. It contains truth, but it is not absolute truth. These are the lies that they will tell their congregants. These are the lies that are being spoken even today within 10 miles of where we stand right now. And at the bottom of, the, at the bottom of it all, the truth is, is that God calls us as His people to be accountable to Him for the knowledge that He gives us in His Word. And if we will not heed His Word and take it as what it is, which is the very Word and very truth of God, then there will be a consequence not only in our lives, but in our nation. And if we want to see this nation turned, then we, as the people of God, must become diligent to pursue His truth. We must become diligent to pursue the knowledge of God. What does that look like? It looks like you knowing more about the Bible today than you did yesterday, to put it plainly. It looks like you opening up the book and looking into it and saying, Lord, teach me. Lord, feed me. Lord, change me. And when God calls you to account on something, responding in obedience to what He tells you. Don't raise your hands, but look at your own hearts and answer this question. How many of you right now, at this moment, could name at least one thing that God is telling you to do that you are refusing to do? I know I can. Beloved, that's why we're in the pickle that we're in. Joyce and I were talking about this yesterday just a little bit and and pointing out the fact that we we told the kids when they went off to college, keep your head down, don't don't speak out, don't, don't say anything. We were wrong. 
We should have encouraged them, stand up for the truth. Never mind the consequences. Stand up and speak the truth. Don't keep your head down. For too long, we've all just been keeping our head down because we don't want to be in trouble. We don't want to be called out. We don't want to be canceled. Let them cancel us. They can only cancel us if you let them. <laughs> you, you have more power than they do. I promise. And, and you have God who will make certain that if you stand for the truth, the truth will be stood for. Amen? Amen? For all of us, this is the challenge that sits in front of us. Because knowledge absolutely impacts life. Or it's not knowledge worth having. If you know something and it doesn't impact your life, then can you even be said to know it? Maybe. Does it matter? If it hasn't changed your life, no. For everything that we do as the people of God, we must recognize the truth that the Word of God is the surest guide to understanding what God actually wants for us. You're not called to just go out and make this stuff up. You're not called to just dream it up and go, well, I think this is best. That's not how God works. God gave you His Word. 66 books of truth contained together in one place that you can put in your pocket. You can keep it on your phone for Pete's sake. You have no excuse for not reading the Bible. If you're not a good reader, you can get an app on your phone that will read it to you. You, you have no excuse in this age. Now, I would encourage all of you to read the Bible because I firmly believe that one of these days soon, all of our technology is going to go and cease to work. So having it on paper is not a bad idea. Learn how to turn the pages. Learn how to find what you need. Read. It's good for you anyway. <laughs> Look at Proverbs chapter 1. Go back to Proverbs 1. We'll read the first seven verses of Proverbs 1. Solomon tells us why he wrote the book of Proverbs, or at least the first 14 or 16 chapters or something that are attributed to Solomon. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So when somebody says, well, I don't want to learn anything, I don't want to read, I don't want to study, I don't want to, yeah, too much work, what they're saying to you is, I'm a fool. I don't want to grow, I don't want to learn, I don't want to change, I don't want to be pleasing to God, I'm a fool. It doesn't matter how much work it is, 
It doesn't matter whether or not you're a good reader or a poor reader, whether or not you are self-conscious about how you read or not, whether it's difficult or easy. It makes no difference. God has given you his word. He has also given you his spirit, and he has given you, contained in his word, led by his spirit, the key to unlock his truth. Look at the things that are said here. Pay attention to this. You're going to know wisdom, instruction, and understanding. You're going to receive the instruction of wisdom. You're going to receive the instruction of justice. You're going to receive the instruction of judgment. You're going to receive the instruction of equity. Now, those are words that are powerful in this culture. Judgment, justice, and equity are kind of trigger words. Everybody wants to have them, but guess what? They're not defining them in any semblance of truth. How are you going to know that what you're hearing from other people is a lie unless you know what the truth is? What the Scripture tells us is that if you study Scripture, and if you allow Scripture to inform your thinking, that you're going to know how those words should be defined and how they should be used. Amen? That wisdom comes from God, and that wisdom comes from His Word, but you can't make use of it if you don't know what it says. Knowledge begins with you understanding what God has said. And as He gives you all of these things, you're also then going to be given prudence and knowledge and discretion so that you might understand what the fear of the Lord actually is. If you want to know what the fear of the Lord is, if that phrase is confusing to you in any way, if you search it out according to the Scripture, God will give you understanding by the truth of His Word. He will give you what you need to understand what He is telling you. Wisdom and knowledge grounded in truth is to be chosen above every other thing. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 10-12 through says, Receive my instruction and not silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that, may, that one may desire cannot be compared with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find out knowledge and discretion. So if you have an option to sit down and study the Word of God or to do something else, choose wisdom. Choose God's Word. Choose to increase. Choose to grow in grace. Choose to understand. Because the more you understand of truth and the more you understand of the world around you according to the Word of God and according to the way that God has put things together, the more effective you will be to advance the kingdom, the more effective you will be to actually influence your neighbors, the more effective you will be to actually disseminate truth, and the more effective you will be to guard yourself against the constant inundation of the lies of the culture. Because believe it, beloved, They are constantly telling you that everything you think is wrong. They are constantly seeking to redefine the past, to jettison the past, so that they can have a clean slate on which to write. We, as the people of God, must recognize that truth is always aimed at knowing God. It is always aimed at understanding His truth and His nature. Proverbs 9.10 says again, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So if you want to know what the fear of the Lord is and how it applies to your life, you must know what God has told us about Himself. Look, it's a remarkable thing that the God of the universe has deigned to open His heart to us and to speak to us in a way that we can understand. 
It is a remarkable thing that the God who created all things not only invites us to know Him, but actually equips us to know Him. He's given us everything necessary for us to enter into knowledge of Him. For us to grow in grace and for us to truly understand His will. This is what being godly is. It means in part being wise. And being wise means that we are consistently and diligently seeking to increase our understanding. How many of you know enough? You can't. You cannot know enough. You can never know enough of God. Proverbs 18.15 says, The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Here's the truth. The law of atrophy works in spiritual things as well. If you're not growing, you're dying. And if you're not learning, you're forgetting. Proverbs 19.27 says, Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. So when you stop reading, when you stop listening, when you stop seeking the face of God, when you stop going into the Word and saying, God, feed me, God, teach me, God, change me, God, grow me, God, help me understand, then everything that you've read up to that point gets cemented in your brain and you keep it forever, right? No, it leaks out. It leaks out quickly. If you're not growing in grace, you're dying in sin. And if you're not learning something new, you're forgetting what you did know. Because if you cease from seeking the truth of God, if you cease listening to to instruction, the words of knowledge will vanish out of your brain. When I was a little kid, I got a plaque for memorizing like 180 verses of Bible. Ask me now how many of them I still know. No, don't ask me. It would be embarrassing. Because I might get one of them right. Maybe. If you're not constantly seeking to retain and to grow in grace and to review and to remember what you knew, you're not going to have it anymore. It's going to leave. So if you're committing yourself to memorize Scripture, let me give you this bit of counsel. You have to resharpen the old swords. You have to sharpen the ones that you had. You have to go back and polish the steel. You have to keep remembering. You have to keep reviewing. You have to constantly keep them in front of you or they will go away. Now, there is true blessing in the pursuit of this knowledge. True knowledge produces fruitful living. True knowledge leads also to security. Proverbs 24, chapter chapter 24, verses 4 to 6 says this. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with precious and with all precious and pleasant riches. Excuse me. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. True knowledge also gives life. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 11 and 12 says, Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and profitable to those who see the sun. For wisdom is a defense as money is a defense. But the excellence of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to those who have it. So what's, what's uh, Solomon telling us there? Solomon's telling us that if you can only leave your children wisdom instead of money, then leave them wisdom. If you have the choice to leave them one or the other, go with wisdom. 
Teach them truth. Make sure that they know the things of God. Make sure that they are grounded and rooted in truth. Because all of the good things that you can give them in this world will make this world easier. But they're not going to live in this world forever. One day they're going to leave this world. And the pursuit of wisdom, that is something they can take with them. The pursuit of the knowledge of God is something that anchors their souls into eternity. True knowledge sought by a people as a whole brings peace to their land. Isaiah 33 verses 5 and 6 says, The Lord is exalted, for He dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is His treasure. But it's important for us to note that this is God's to give or to withhold as He pleases. Knowledge sought for its own sake and for its own rewards apart from knowing God becomes idolatry. And it itself is a trap. Isaiah 47 Look with me, starting at verse 8. Therefore hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one else besides me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in their fullness because of the multitude of your sorceries for the great abundance of your enchantments. For you've trusted in your wickedness and you've said no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you and you've said in your heart, I am and there is no one else besides me. Therefore evil shall come upon you and you shall not know from where it arises and trouble shall fall upon you and you will not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, and you shall not know. So God is speaking to the people of Israel here, or Babylon, I mean, excuse me. And they, they had established themselves as the kings of the earth. And in that, they had rejected the revelation of God. God was merciful to Babylon in a powerful way. When he sent Judah into their midst for the exile... He exposed Babylon to the truth of his teaching. For 70 years, the truth of of God being God was available to the Babylonians. They had a blessing that no other nation aside from Israel itself ever knew in, in that time. And what did they do with it? They threw it away because they didn't desire to know God. Instead, they sought their own wisdom. Now, this is a really sad thing, but it's also important for us to pay attention to the fact that we ourselves can fall victim to this. We can pursue knowledge without knowing God. We can pursue knowledge without knowing truth. We can pursue knowledge just for its own sake. And if you pursue knowledge for the sake of knowledge, well, it becomes an idol. Knowing anything is a means to an end. It's not an end. Even knowing a lot of facts about God, even knowing a lot of Bible, even knowing a lot of things about religion, even knowing all sorts of things so that you can come off wise at parties and conversations, whatever your motive, whatever your reason, 
if you're not viewing the knowledge of God as what it is, which is a gateway to the fear of the Lord, to know Him, to enter into relationship with Him, to be His child and to take advantage of what is offered to you as His adopted son or daughter, then all of that knowledge in the end will only accrue to your eternal sorrow. It will offer you nothing of hope if it's not applied properly. It becomes an idol. You can idolize anything. We, we do it. We idolize all sorts of things. An idol, rightly understood according to Scripture, is a covetous heart. In Colossians, Paul tells us that idolatry is covetousness. Covetousness is idolatry. When you want things so badly that you are willing to do whatever it takes to get them, those things become an idol in your life. And those things become something which are lead weights tied about your neck as you are cast into the depths of the sea. Beloved, what we're called to do is to see the knowledge of Scripture as a tool to help us understand what God requires of us because it is about our lives reflecting His glory. It's about our lives being drawn into a closer fellowship with Him. The knowledge of Scripture is about a relationship between us and God. It's about us knowing Him and walking with Him and reflecting His glory. And in the end, it's good for us to remember this because knowledge also has roots in repentance. Maybe right now you're looking at your life and saying, boy, I haven't walked in wisdom. I haven't done very much in a way that is wise and I really wish I could go back and do it over. Well, probably not the best wish. How about you just start from where you are and move forward? Because what the scripture promises us is that God is always near to those who are repentant. He will bless those who turn from their sin and who seek him. And in the end, this is the true aim of all knowledge, to be rightly connected in fellowship with God. Look at Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. If you find Daniel, keep turning to the right just a little bit. Hosea chapter 6. Starting at verse 1. Come, and let us return to the Lord, for He has torn, but He will heal us. He has stricken, but He will bind us up. After two days He will revive us, and on the third day He will raise us up, that we may live in His sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rains of the earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings." Those who turn from their sin find mercy and peace in God. Those who turn from their disobedience and turn from their rebellions and turn from the things that God has called them to abandon, when they turn from them, they find in Him 
peace. They find in him hope. They find in him life. And beloved, all of the knowledge of the scripture is designed by God to aim you to this truth. It's designed by God to aim you at the place of repentance. At the place where Christ in his glory is held up before you. The lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Where Christ is displayed before you as a sacrifice that God himself made for sin. It is the scripture that brings us to that point. It is the word of God which teaches us what Christ did and who Christ is. You cannot obtain the truth about Christ from any other source but the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And in the end, it is the Word of God that is used most in this age for us to find who Christ is. The Scripture says, how will they know without a preacher? How will they hear without somebody to preach? Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. We are that visible implementation, <laughs> visible implementation of the Word of God. We are the light in the midst of this culture. But if we're not shining, if we're not even aware of what truth is because we're so busy trying to absorb what the culture is selling, then how dark is the light? Beloved, in the end, what God calls us to do is to have our own hearts aimed at repentance. In the end, what God calls us to do is to recognize that sin exists in us. And because sin exists in us, we become vessels of the glory of the gospel, which is that we are called and permitted, invited and equipped, empowered, chosen by God to accept and to come into the presence of Christ. That knowledge comes from Scripture. That knowledge comes from the Word of God being opened before you. That knowledge comes from what God has said in His Word. He is the one who saves His people. He is the one who has given the sacrifice. He is the one who has shown us what life is. And this is the knowledge, the fullness of knowledge, that leads to the hope that the writer of Hebrews wants the people to hold on to. It's not this mamby-pamby, wishy-washy, oh, have a nice day and leave church feeling good. That's not what it's about. It's about you learning who God is and how to walk with Him in grace and power. It's about you learning the truth of the Word and letting it have roots deeply sunk in your life so that whatever comes, you stand strong and firm. It's about the fact that God calls us all to live a life of repentance so that even our mistakes become avenues of glory by which Christ is honored. This is the life that God calls us to. This is a life that is rooted and anchored in believing Him and taking Him at His word. But before you can believe Him and take Him at His word, you have to know what He has said. You have to have the knowledge of the Scripture. You have to be a diligent student of God's Word. You have to be somebody who is constantly seeking to understand more and more of what God has said in His Word so that your life is a faithful, honest vessel for that grace. This is what you're called to be. But wrapped up in that is this glorious call of the Gospel 
We are invited and turned, called to turn to him for the healing that we so desperately need. Look at Matthew chapter 11. And hear the words of Jesus. Matthew 11, starting at verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent, that's of the world, and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I want you to see something powerful in this invitation. No one knows the Son except the Father. God alone knows who the Son is. No one knows the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Do you know who that is? That is you who are found in Christ. So the fact that you are sitting here today hearing that invitation, hearing that call from Christ to come unto Him for healing and for life and for everything that's needed is a strong indicator that Jesus Christ is revealing Himself to you and revealing the Father to you so that you might be saved. If you are saved, then rejoice in the fact that God has done this. And if you are unsure, then I would urge you with everything that I have in me to fly to the cross and to seek forgiveness, asking God for the mercy that you do not deserve, but that He has promised to give. That is knowledge, and that is wisdom, which is knowledge applied. We'll pick it up there next week. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you give us grace. I pray, God, that you would teach us to discern truth in the midst of chaos, for there is no shortage of chaos in this age. God, we are surrounded by people who speak things that are obviously false and expect us to believe them because they have said them. We are surrounded by people who are constantly rewriting even history that happened yesterday. Even words that are recorded and said over and over, we are told are not what they said. God, let us not fall victim to these lies. Let us understand that your word is truth and that your word defines truth and that your word calls us to repentance. God, give us a flavor for truth. Give us a way to to know and to feel and to taste its presence. Guard us against its absence. 
Father, I pray that if there's anyone in the sound of my voice this day that does not yet know you, that you would save them. I pray, God, that you would open the eyes of their heart and that you would call them to life that they might ask for mercy. For in your call to us, you promise mercy to all who ask. God, I ask that in the midst of this day, our lives would be realigned to your truth and that our very souls would reflect the glory of the risen Christ. For we ask it in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen.